It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why cheap astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is black holes again. Yep, we can't seem to get away from these critters. They're big and they're black, and they're the ultimate expression of a known unknown. So, here at Cheap Astronomy, we often get asked things like, Dear Cheap Astronomy, how exactly does Einstein's physics break down in a black hole? The idea that a particular branch of physics breaks down in a particular environment is arguably just poor use of language. At best, any physics formula can only model how the real world works. If that physics formula provides predictions that are observed with high accuracy in the real world, then it's considered a very successful physics formula. So, for example, Newton's physics provides some fairly successful formulas that operate to a fairly high level of accuracy on Earth, even in fast-moving aircraft. But Einstein's physics is considered to offer even more successful formulas which produce accurate measurements over a wider range of environments, such as in very fast-moving spacecraft or in strong gravity. For example, early experiments seeking to confirm Einstein's physics found that light passing nearby the Sun is visibly bent in a way that was predicted by Einstein, but not by Newton. But... No one says there is a particular point at which Newton's physics breaks down. It just steadily becomes less and less accurate when it's applied in situations where things are moving at extreme speeds or are affected by extreme gravity. Indeed, the suggestion that anyone's physics breaks down in a black hole is kind of a moot point, since you can't measure anything that happens beyond a black hole's event horizon so you don't have access to any data that would allow you to test whether your physics formula remains accurate or not. In any case, Einstein's physics does work in a black hole, at least on a theoretical basis and up to a point. General relativity is geometrical in nature, describing how space-time curves in the presence of mass-energy densities. And in the presence of the humongous mass-energy density of a black hole, space-time curves a lot. But there's black holes, and there's black holes. The smallest known black hole is about four solar masses and about 24 kilometres in diameter. The biggest known black hole is about 20 billion solar masses and about 68 billion kilometres in diameter a diameter that is 15 times greater than the diameter of Neptune's orbit around the Sun. So, given how we calculate volume, where spatial dimensions get cubed, it turns out that the net density of a supermassive black hole is much lower than a stellar mass black hole. 
Indeed, the net density of most supermassive black holes is lower than water. This means that space-time tightens down very quickly in a stellar black hole, but undergoes much gentler constriction inside a supermassive black hole. Hence, various science communicators have described how you could cross an event horizon of a supermassive black hole before getting spaghettified. What really bothers everyone about black holes and general relativity is that the geometry predicts that space-time curvature should constrict right down to a single point, a singularity at the black hole's centre. This means that any mass or matter at that point exists in a state of infinite density. Although really that's just a mathematical quirk brought about by trying to divide something by zero. If you have a central point with zero volume, and that central point contains mass and matter, then the traditional calculation of density, mass divided by volume, will give you infinity. But infinity isn't a number. It's just a symbol representing never-endingness. So if that's the answer your calculation is delivering, it generally just means your calculation logic is wrong. So maybe we should reconsider that matter is really just empty space constrained by forces acting between point-like particles that have no actual volume themselves. So once you do compress matter right down to its fundamentals, perhaps it really can occupy zero volume. Who knows? And given that everything that happens inside a black hole happens behind an event horizon, it's fair to say that no one will ever really know. This is the middle bit. Thanks, Bridget. So there you go. As we like to say at Cheap Astronomy, not knowing something is not an excuse for filling the gap with a bunch of wacky notions that no one can test. Nor should you decide that it's all too hard and there are some things that people just aren't meant to understand. After all, there are a few things about black holes that we can understand, sort of. For example, Dear Cheap Astronomy, what is the temperature of a black hole? Well, we first have to ask, what is temperature? We can feel the heat of something at a distance because it's pumping out photons, but the basis of temperature is that temperature is that quality that reflects the kinetic state of the object you are measuring the temperature of. In other words, the atomic and subatomic constituents of an object with a high temperature vibrate like crazy, while the constituents of that same object at a low temperature may hardly move at all. But now consider everything that we know about black holes. Firstly, no photons are ever going to come out of them, and the degenerate matter that's within is compressed right down and quite possibly locked into a singularity. So it probably won't be vibrating at all, even at a subatomic level. And of course there's time dilation to consider. Even if there was some kind of motion within the black hole, from an external observer's frame of reference, it would take the lifetime of the universe for that motion to complete. 
So, putting all those ideas together, you might reasonably conclude that black holes have a temperature of zero Kelvin. This is a conclusion that's drawn from a thought experiment, since you can't take any measurements of what's happening inside a black hole. Indeed, this actually relates to what is known as the no-hair principle, which says that once you eliminate all external influences, then all you can ever know about that black hole is its mass, its charge, and its motion. But concluding that something has a temperature of zero Kelvin does not sit well with most physicists. This isn't possible for any other system, so why should it be possible for a black hole? So there are other lines of thinking which essentially put the hair back on black holes. The best-known example of this is Hawking radiation. The idea behind Hawking radiation is that the same quantum vacuum fluctuations thought to occur everywhere else in the universe should also occur adjacent to a black hole event horizon. Such vacuum fluctuations involve particles and their antiparticles appearing momentarily, then annihilating each other, so they disappear again without a trace. But near a black hole event horizon, one might go in while the other stays out. And since one half of the pair's been lost behind the event horizon, the other one is not annihilated, so the external universe gains a new particle. And it works out that stellar-sized black holes with tighter event horizon curvatures will produce more Hawking radiation than supermassive black holes whose event horizons are like vast, almost flat planes in comparison. And this is just because of that surface geometry. There are more paths of escape for a particle produced near a curved surface than for a particle produced near a flat surface. So, this is the current state of play. If you accept Hawking radiation exists, and not everyone does, then that is the temperature of a black hole. The biggest supermassive black holes should have a temperature of 1.4 times 10 to the minus 14 Kelvin, which is 0.000 and another 10 noughts, and then a 1 and a 4. So it's actually not that far from zero Kelvin anyway. A stellar mass black hole's temperature is more like 6 times 10 to the minus 8 Kelvin, that is 0.70 and then a 6. So even a stellar-mass black hole has a temperature that's still well less than 1 Kelvin, but is a tiny bit warmer than a supermassive black hole. In fact, no black hole that we know about is warmer than the current background temperature of the universe. That is, the temperature of the cosmic microwave background, which is approximately 2.7 Kelvin. This means that no black holes that we know about are going to evaporate anytime soon. Even if they aren't still sucking down new matter, whatever minuscule radiative loss they experience due to Hawking radiation is vastly overwhelmed by the input of photons from the cosmic microwave background. It's not until the universe has become so stretched so that temperature and photon density start approaching zero 
that any black holes are going to have any chance of evaporating. So it may be a Googleplex or more years from now before our last supermassive black holes finally evaporate away. This is the end bit. Damn straight. So all that stuff you hear about evaporating black holes is not happening now. The universe is still small and dense enough that black holes will keep growing. So it's hard to know if we'll ever get an accurate measurement of Hawking radiation, since any black hole inputs of energy or matter will overwhelm any black hole outputs of Hawking radiation. And we're certainly not going to observe a black hole evaporating any time soon. But that's it until the next black hole episode. If you've got a black hole question, or if you even want to ask something else about astronomy, why not write to blackast sorry, cheapastro at gmail.com and let us talk about something else. Just kidding though, black holes are us. Steve Nerlick, Cheap Astronomy. You are listening to the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye. <laughs>